morning, church. Welcome to worship. Glad that you're here. Makes it a little more enjoyable when we're both here. I want you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, just a moment, we'll begin in verse 21. First, uh, I would like you to just be aware of what I've been up to this week. Since we last met last week, Pastor Eliel, Pastor Lucas, and myself were in Honduras, and we had the privilege of encouraging about 140 pastors from across that whole country. Now, here's what's neat. We've been doing that for about 13 years. And so since 2011, we've had the opportunity to go and to make a difference there in that country. And uh, we call that ministry the Barnabas effect because like Barnabas, we recognize that we can have greater impact, a multiplication of our impact by uh, encouraging and equipping church leaders to make a difference right where they are. And so it's so encouraging just to see, even in this troubled country, how God's at work. One of the stories I love the most was this family that came up to me. This guy came and said, I was here at your, your first meeting, and then I came back when you had a, a time where we brought the husbands and wives together, and my wife came, and when she came, our little girl uh, was just in her belly. And I've been coming ever since, but I wanted you to see our little girl, and she's nine years old, and so what a joy it was. You're making a difference, even when you don't know it, not only across the street, but around the world. So I'm grateful to be a part of, of what you're doing. Amen. It's good. I also want to take just a moment and speak about what's taking place in the Middle East. I want to remind you that when we sing, the king is in the room. What we're saying is that our God is sovereign. So he's never caught off guard by the circumstances of our lives or the events of this world. We shouldn't be caught off guard too much either, frankly. We have the book that shows us kind of how things are going. And what's taking place has been taking place for thousands of years in that region of the world. These groups of folks have not been getting along. What's happened is kind of an escal escalation in their inability to get along, and it all is deriving from a problem that's stemming from the heart. That's what Jesus is about to speak to us about in just a moment. But we are commanded, as Pastor Zach said in, in Scripture in Psalms 122, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We feel a special connection with the people of God there uh, because we know that in his story, they were the chosen ones. We also know, as Pastor Zach said, that there are Christ followers in that region of the world that's known as Palestine. Many of the people in this immediate community come from that area. So I want you to be aware that probably uh, there are some of our neighbors who may have family members who are suffering in this. And so we as followers of Christ really want to demonstrate the difference that we know Jesus brings. And so let's pray to that end even again once more. Father, man, it's kind of overwhelming just all that we've sung about you today. Um, you're worthy of our praise. You're the king who's in the room. You're the one that showed us mercy you are Jesus. God, as I stand before you now for a second time in this very place, I, I just want to acknowledge, not only for me, but for none of us here, that we need just another, just another check 
that we came to a service. We need to encounter you. In fact, Lord, that's what our world needs. Our world needs to encounter you. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for peace in the Middle East. And God, we know that only you can bring about that peace. Lord, we pray for those that are mourning the atrocities that we saw yesterday that continue today. Lord, they derive from the pit of hell. We recognize that. And we know that only you can reconcile that. So, Lord, we pray you'd bring comfort to those who are mourning because you are the God of all comfort. We pray that you give wisdom to leaders. And we pray that your justice would reign true all over this earth. Because, God, we acknowledge that what's going on there is a reflection of the war that's taking place in our heart. There's a battle that's raging. The the sinful us uh, up against the peace of God. So, Lord, we, we just ask now that as we move into this time of your word, that, that you'd give us what we need that we don't have, that you would teach us new and different things from your truth today, and God, that we'd walk away different. Lord, it's expected that some have gathered here who are not currently reconciled with you through Jesus. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Now, Father, once more, I'm just going to ask that the words I say and even my thoughts would please you because you are my strength and you're my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten really angry? Have you ever been so upset that you just think of another person and you say, you make me so mad. Or maybe in the culture that I was growing up in, you had a phrase like this. We would say, you make my blood boil. That's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get to that, I, I, I want to take you back to where we've been. The greatest preacher who's ever preached, Jesus, was preaching the greatest sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount begins with that group of sayings we call the Beatitude. He then tells us to be salt, season the earth, light, shine in the earth. Then he speaks about something that even those who follow God today still struggle with, the balance between law and grace. You hear it this way. Sometimes a Christ follower will say, well, now we live in the age of grace. And to that, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And, and Jesus was reminding us that he had a very high view of scripture. And so we call ourselves Christ followers. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we want to have a high view of scripture. We want to believe in the sufficiency of God's word. We believe that it's true and it's perfect and it has impact in our lives. Jesus also set a standard in that part of his sermon. He says in Matthew 5 verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we hear that and we think, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble because I know I'm not that righteous. What what am I going to do? And then we begin to realize the whole point of Jesus's message is that he was telling us we can't do this without him. 
We can't live this life without what we now know is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees is, is through the life of a perfect person, and that's who Jesus is. So our only hope is to trust in him. By the way, when Jesus gives us that view of Scripture, he reminds us of the importance of knowing God's Word. And so I challenged you a couple weeks ago. Do you remember? I challenged you to memorize a verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. So we're going to say it together, whether you've got it by memory or not. I know a few of you have, because a few of you have come up to me and you've said it. I'm so proud of you. Remember, we say the reference first, then we say the verse and say the reference again. So let's say it together. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm trying to encourage you to plant God's word in your heart because the Bible says if I hide God's word in my heart, it'll help me with the sin burdens of life. Now, today's Jesus continuing the sermon. He, he gives us this series of statements that we call the antithesis because they're, they're different from the way that we typically think. He, he's going to begin this way. You have heard it said, and then he's going to say, but I tell you, he's challenging the thinking of religious people. And that really is something that should happen every time we come together in a space like this. You, you really should be challenged as you look into God's Word and, and you begin to ask yourself, am I thinking about this in the right way? And Jesus does this by distinguishing the difference between the way he lives and he wants his followers to live from the way that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, live. They were concerned most about the external, the actions. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be aware that I'm looking at the internal, the attitudes, and so maybe just a quick reminder for you, Jesus isn't really too impressed with your checklist, right? Some of you need to hear that again. Jesus is not impressed with our checklist. I mean, you feel good about yourself because you're thinking, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. I mean, you've got your checklist, whatever they are. I go to church, I read my Bible, I put something in the offering plate and you think, booyah, I've got it. I mean, I'm, I'm good with God because of that. But what Jesus is really drilling down on here is he's saying, I'm not so concerned with your checklist. I'm looking at your heart. And in doing this, he begins by addressing something we all have, relationships. We see Jesus reminding us of the importance of healthy relationships. And the, the reason makes sense is because Scripture teaches that you can't have a right relationship with God if you don't have a right relationship with others. And right there, I should be checking in with some of you because you know this. All of us who have lived more than a few days, we know this. We know that when we're not right with other people, it makes it even hard to sit in a room like this. We don't sing with joy, we don't pray with intensity, and when we hear God's word, we squirm and we, we just can't receive it because we were made for a relationship. And so that's why when anger begins to consume us and our blood begins to boil and we think we're the Hulk and we say, don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> we realize that this is a problem. So if you've ever been angry, you've ever struggled in relationships, you probably want to tune in to the words of Jesus when he said in verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Now let's take a time out and have a quiz. What's he referring to? 
the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. I mean, this was not tricky. Jesus was saying, you've heard it was said long ago. He's saying, you all know this. This is number six, the sixth command, thou shalt not murder. You heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And just imagine the Pharisees, that was an amen moment. Now, I have to tell you, our first service, which is frankly much smaller, they have a lot of amen moments. You guys, you're kind of quiet. You're kind of like the frozen chosen, but that's okay. But Jesus was gathering with religious leaders, and I think this is what happened. You heard it said long ago, you shall not murder. And that's when they said, amen. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in the prison. Truly, I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. The Bible has a lot to say about how anger, this natural emotion, affects our relationship. Just listen to a few of the examples. Psalms 37, 8, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, do not fret, it only leads to evil. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry person stirs up conflict, a hot-tempered person commits many sins. We could go on and on and on, but the Bible also illustrates that maybe anger is not always a sin. Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Man, what a great verse. What a great principle there at the end. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Kimberly and I have been married 30 years, and we've tried to practice that. We try not to go to bed angry. And so there's been some nights we've stayed up all night. And so, <laughs> but, but the reality, what a great principle. But did you notice the first part? In your anger, do not sin. So apparently, there can be an anger which is not sinful. What do we in the church call that? We call it a, a righteous anger. I know a few of you would have that, a righteous anger. What is righteous anger? Well, we, we see that when Jesus is in the temple. Now, listen to that story. Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves. And, and he said, it is written. He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And man, us church people, we like, yeah, righteous anger. Way to go, Jesus. And, and, and here's how we have, we've applied that. I know, because I get the angry emails. Anytime we sell a devotional or, or we sell a ticket to a spaghetti dinner, they're like, you should not be selling in the church. You're making the house of prayer a den of robbers. But that's not what was going on. In fact, here's what I know. There was supposed to be selling outside of the temple. You know why? That's how God had planned it. So if you read in the Old Testament, you would see that they were to set up out there to sell doves and and to sell sheep and lambs and 
So goats and you see, that was part of the sacrificial system. So that's not what Jesus was upset about. What was he upset about? Well, for one, they were exploiting the people. So like I think some people that are, are, are not of God still do today, they took advantage of the opportunity and were, were charging more than they should have charged for that. And so the, the people that were coming to worship were being exploited these people who were created in the image of God and, and were there uh, to, to worship the Lord. They were being taken advantage of it. And Jesus never likes it when, when he is being dishonored by his creator, his creation being dishonored. But there's more to the story. We know that this was taking place in what's called the court of the Gentiles. Now, we could have a whole study on the temple, and maybe we'll do that one day. That's not today. But, but let me just remind you that the temple had different sections. So, for example, you could go to the Holy of Holies. Well, actually, you couldn't go, and I couldn't go. One person could go. The high priest could go to the Holy of Holies, and he could only go once a year. And when he went once a year, they would tie a rope around his ankle. You know why? Because in case he got struck dead when he walked in there, they could pull his body out. But, but there's a part of the temple where the most religious people could go, the, the Pharisees. Then there's another part of the temple where kind of the religious people could go. And then there's a part of the outside of the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. That's where folks like me who grew up in Hartsville, South Carolina could go. I mean, the rednecks. I mean, that, that's where we could You, too, the Gentiles, unless you're of Jewish heritage. It's the court of the Gentiles. Why was there a court of the Gentiles? Don't miss this. Because from the beginning, God has been about bringing all people to himself. That was always the plan. That's why the law and the prophets are still important. Because God was always pointing to Jesus. He was pointing the way. And so Jesus walks in. And there in the court of the Gentiles, not only were they taking advantage of people, but they were keeping the Gentiles from being able to worship the God they came to worship. And Jesus, he threw a fit. He was righteously angry. And he quoted this verse, Isaiah 56, 7. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know what I've learned? That same thing still angers God. Churches all across our land are closing their doors because insiders like us are keeping the outsiders from getting to God. The same thing that was happening there in the court of the Gentiles. Those people who wanted to come worship God couldn't because the religious insiders were taking advantage. And the way that looks today is we say, hey, we're going we're gonna to do it our way. We will not be moved. We're not going to change. It's always been this way. And we're keeping those who desperately need the gospel of grace out of the walls of places like this. And I'm confident that still makes God angry. And I would tell you it's okay still to get angry at the things that rob God of his rightful glory. That keep people from coming to Jesus. A recent study was done of young non-Christians. It asks them about their interactions with Christians. 84% of young non-Christians say they knew a Christian personally. And yet only 15% of those non-Christians said that professing Christians' lifestyle was any different than theirs. 
that their lifestyle was noticeable. That should make us angry. I like what someone said. Anger is the backbone of the moral man. We should be angry about sin. We live in a world that has lost its moral indignation. We don't get mad about the things that make God mad. We don't get sad about the things that make God sad. We should be angry about the taking of unborn lives. We should be angry about the mutilation of children. We should be angry about human trafficking. We should be angry when the least of these are not cared for. We should be angry when there are two or 3,000 orphans that don't have homes just in Hillsborough County. Things like this should make us angry. But I think we overuse this in the church. And I think that idea of righteous anger has become an excuse. And people like me through the years have said, well, that's just kind of the way I am. I just get mad easily. I, I get righteously angry. Could, could you imagine putting that word righteous in front of anything else that Jesus calls sin? Well, I'm not greedy. That was just righteous greed. I'm not lusting. That was just righteous lust. Try that one. See how it works for you. We'll talk about that next week. No, Jesus was saying, hey, there is a time to be angry. There is a time to be mad. But most of us, we're angry at the wrong time in the wrong way. For most of us, anger is a sin because our motives are wrong. Overall, overall, Scripture is clear. And we hear it from the the half-brother of Jesus. James is now pastor of the church at Jerusalem, but he doesn't even believe Jesus is the Messiah until after the resurrection. But listen to what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to what? To become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You think maybe he's remembering this sermon that he stood in the kind of the outlier listening to the Sermon on the Mount, and he remembered the words of Jesus where he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the, of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. And James is saying, listen, anger is never going to produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. The Bible mentions anger more than 200 times. We know some of the consequences of anger. It raises our heart rate. It increases our blood pressure. It clouds brain function. The adrenaline in our bloodstream that it causes can cause cardiac arrest. It can increase the chance of stroke by 50%. It lowers the immune system and it shortens life. The primary cause of roadside accidents is aggressive driving. 66% of traffic fatalities are caused by this kind of anger in a motor vehicle. According to a recent Gallup poll, people are more stressed, more sad, and more angry than any time since they've been polling people. And this is not new. Anger has always caused problems among God's people. Because of anger, Cain killed Abel. Because of anger, Moses was banned from the promised land. Because of anger, Pharaoh lost his army. Because of anger, Saul lost his throne. Because of anger, Balaam beat his donkey. Because of anger, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. Because of anger, Peter cut off an ear. Because of anger, Judas ultimately betrayed Jesus. And because of anger, the Pharisees, they tried Jesus and they hung him on a cross Maybe you can begin to understand 
why anger is such a big deal to Jesus. So let me just give you three things about what Jesus was telling us. First, Jesus is teaching us about the reality of anger. Look again at what he says. You've heard that it was said, taught to you long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Amen. That's right, Jesus. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother. I mean, just think about that. How, how do you know if you're angry with a brother? Jesus was teaching us something here. You can't hide your anger. It's always going to come out. It's, it's like a tube of toothpaste. When you're squeezed, that anger begins to flow out. And people begin to see it. They see it on your countenance. Some of you walked in, and, and somebody asked you today, what's wrong? And you said, nothing. Because you just look angry. But then if you stay angry, what happens? It begins to come out of your mouth. And so he says, some of you, if you call a brother or sister Raka, you're going to answer to the court. What does Raka mean? It's, it's an Aramaic word. We don't use that. You know what it means? Blockhead. <laughs> empty empty head. That's what it literally means. Idiot. What he's saying, when, when you're talking to one who is God's creation, an, an image bearer of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you talk to them in such a way that, that you rob them of God's glory, man, that is sinful. And then he takes it a step further, but when that anger builds up, then you begin to talk to people and you say, you fool. But you know what fool literally meant? Literally meant unbeliever. So, so what that was saying is, going to hell. I hope I can just raise, raise the offense of that statement to you. Because that flies off the lips of way too many people. Go to hell. I mean, think about what you're saying. Be forever separated from God. Be eternally tormented and punished. Jesus was saying, when, when you utter things like that, man, you, you've done about as bad as you can do. When you flip somebody off and you're saying, go to hell, or, or worse, whatever you mean by that, Je Jesus is saying, that's a big deal. In fact, he says, you're in danger of the hell of fire. Now, what does that mean, the fire of hell? Some translations say the hell of fire. What does that mean? Well, when a person was taken to a judge, if the judge thought they were worthy of a trial, they went to a trial. And then at trial, if they were convicted, they were sentenced, just like today. And if they were sentenced, one of the sentences could be death. And if they were put to death, they were killed, and then their body was thrown on the garbage heap just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. And do you know what that was called? Gehenna. And Jesus uses this word to Gehenna to speak of the fires of hell. This was actually the place in the Old Testament where those who worshiped the god Moloch sacrificed babies. And they would throw the babies on this burning heap of fire. And then when someone was convicted of a crime and sentenced to death, that garbage heap that had been turned into a continual burning fire pit 
Their body was thrown on that. And Jesus was saying, guys, when, when you let this inside take such control of you that it comes out on the outside, man, you're in danger of really being messed up. He's not downplaying murder. He's demonstrating the root cause of all murder, the heart. I just want to remind you, the heart of the human problem, it's still the problem of the human heart. Whatever happens externally is always a reflection of what's going on internally. So I did some research. In 2022, there were 48 murders in Tampa. It's actually pretty high. Puts us above the national average. What if we recorded the incidents of anger? I wonder how many that would be. When I ask it that way, you can see that Jesus is leveling the playing field. He's reminding us that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all in a mess of trouble apart from Jesus. See, what happens is when we look at others, we, we judge their actions. I can't believe you did that to me. But when we judge ourselves, <laughs> we judge our motives. You following me? Let me say that again. When, when you judge others, you judge their actions. He hurt me. She took this from me. But when we judge ourselves, we want it. We want our motives to be what's questioned. I didn't mean that that way. Oh, you misunderstood me. Oh, you took that wrong. And Jesus is saying, no, what's on the outsides coming from the inside. I love how Dallas Willard describes this. He says, actions do not emerge from nothing. They faithfully reveal what is in the heart. That's true of me, you, and everybody who's ever lived. So anger is normal. It's a powerful emotion, but it can become sinful, just like other things God's given us. So I know what time it is. Some of you are getting hungry right now. Hunger is a natural feeling, right? But it can be turned sinful if it becomes gluttony. God has created us as man and woman with the opportunity to enjoy sexual intimacy. That's a gift from God, but that can become sinful when it turns to fornication or adultery. And Jesus is saying this natural motion of anger, when, it's, when it takes place outside of the righteousness of God, it is wrong. It's like murder. And some of you are guilty of character assassination. That's why in Ephesians, in verse 26, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Oh, Christ follower, hear me. Do not give the devil a foothold in your life. Do not fight, invite the enemy to have a room at your house. Don't give him a seat at your table. 
Did you know before you come in here every week, there's a group of men that meet with me and we pray. There's other people that come into this room and pray. And there's people that are praying during the service. And you know one of the things they're praying? They're praying that God would post guard on this campus and each of the campuses of our church so that when, when people come onto this campus with sinful activity in their life, that God would prevent that from becoming a foothold for us and keeping us from what he wants us to have. And yet some of you, man, you, you've invited the enemy in and you're living with this thing called anger. And it becomes sinful. How does it become sinful? Well, one big way is we stuff it. We stuff it down. We just think about how mad we are. We think we're keeping it to ourselves, but man, we're just shaking our head when we walk around. What are you shaking your head at? Nothing. We're just stuffing it down and we're planting a seed and that seed of bitterness begins to grow and it it begins to take root and all of a sudden that buried anger becomes bitterness. Like someone said, anger is an acid that can do more harm in the vessel into which it is stored than anything into which it is poured. You know what that means? It hurts you more. That's why I've always liked that quote that was so meaningful to me. About 20 years ago, I was sitting on the back row of the church and I was struggling with bitterness and I heard someone say that that bitterness is the poison that I was drinking while I was waiting for somebody else to die. Some of you are in that same category. We stuff it down. But here's the problem. No matter how hard we stuff it down, eventually it will come out. And so we spew it out. Proverbs 29, 11 says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Jesus is saying there's always a progression. Anger always progresses, and it always leads to pain. Jesus was teaching us about the reality of anger, but Jesus was also teaching us the results of anger. Because when he talks about leaving the gift at the altar, he's saying, hey, this thing is such a big deal that it has messed things up in your life. And so you're coming to worship thinking you're going to worship God, but you can't worship God. Why? We've already learned this. Because you can't be right vertically if you're not right horizontally. So he's saying you can't worship God right at the altar if things aren't right with your brother or sister at the table. So notice what he says. He says, go make things right. Anger's a relationship killer. Years ago, I I saw that Bono said, we must be careful in our efforts to confront the monster, not to ourselves become the monster. And some of us have, we become angry monsters. And the sin of anger ruins our relationships. So I just want to remind you before I give you this last thing, anger tears down when we should be building up. Anger makes us victims when we should be victors. Anger makes us bound when we were created to live free. And anger makes us outsiders rather than insiders in the family of God. So Jesus teaches us about the reality of anger. He teaches us about the results of anger. Then he teaches us how to respond to anger. So let's look again at verse 24. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. Settle matters 
quickly. Jesus was teaching us the principle of reconciliation. He was teaching us what Paul would remind the church at Rome in Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is that your desire? Do you do that? Do you live to be reconciled with other people to to make a difference in your little corner of the world by being an ambassador of reconciliation? You can't have that right relationship with God at the altar unless you've got that relationship right with your brothers and sisters. It's a big deal. Jesus was saying, okay, cool. You're going through the motions of worship? All right. But it's not making the impact. That's why, oh, church, when when I hear somebody say, well, I I go to that church or I go to worship and I I just don't feel anything. I I don't feel like it's making a difference. The first thing I always say is, have you done a heart check? Have you held up the mirror of God's word to your life? Is there unconfessed sins or relationships that are not right in you? Because those things will keep you, according to the lips of Jesus, those things will keep you from being able to worship the way you desire. Jesus is saying, stop going through the motions. Start living out your faith. You got to decide what you're going to be known for. Retribution? I'll get them back. Or reconciliation. Are you going to be known as a fighter? Are you going to be known for forgiveness? And you know what we do, particularly people that are kind of wired like me. I mean, I can be high strung, I'm type A personality. I have what we call red energy. I mean, I've done all the personality tests, and all those personality tests, it comes out the same way. I, I'm, I'm intense. And so for a lot of my life, I would just say, hey, I'm not mad. I'm just. I, I, I'm just a fighter. And we justify or we excuse those things in our life that are sinful. And Jesus says, enough. In fact, let's go back to James. In James chapter 4, the half-brother of Jesus says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You hear what he's saying? You know what every fight you've ever been in have in common? You! You were a part of them. Every one of them. And Jesus says, you got to deal with that. Consequently, he said, you need to take initiative. Now, I love what it says in this passage. Jesus says, if if you... um, If you bring a gift to the altar, but someone is offended at you, go to them. That's not the way some of you read it. Because I know. He he doesn't say, if you are offended at someone. In in fact, sometimes people will come to me and uh, it's okay. I I receive it. Sometimes people just want to clear their conscience, but but they'll say, hey, Brother Paul, I just need to let you know I've been offended at you. Okay, (laughs) bring it on. Let me have it. That's fine. And sometimes that can bring relational healing. That's not what's prescribed in Scripture. That's cleaning your conscience. What's prescribed in Scripture is if you know someone's offended at you, you're supposed to take the initiative. You're supposed to go to them and say, what can I do to make this right? 
Why? Because as a follower of Jesus, man, I don't have a choice. I've got to do everything I can to be at peace with all people. So I love what I was taught by Life Action years ago. They were here at our church in 2019. And and they were talking about right relationships. And they say, you know, you may not agree with someone about why they're offended at you. But you still can take the initiative. And you may even say that. You can go to them and say, hey, you and I may never agree on what you're upset about. But I've got good news. I'm way worse than you think. Y'all okay out there? Yeah, I've done way worse than you think I've done. So I just want you to know I'm sorry. That's pretty awesome. I applied that in in these years in between there. On one occasion, I applied that, and man, I was just really working to make a relationship right that was not right. And I, I remember going and saying almost exactly those words. Hey, man. I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to see eye to eye on what you feel like I've done. Just because I, I feel different on that. But here's the deal. I'm way worse than you think. Man, if you knew my heart like God knows my heart, you just need to know I, I need a lot of help. And so here's what I want to say to you. I'm sorry. I, I want to be right with you. In, in that case, you know what the person did? They said, don't you think for a minute that just because you're having a revival down at the church, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not ready to do that yet. But here's the question. Had I done everything I could to be at peace in that situation? You better believe it. So what do I do? I have to leave that, not let that become bitterness in my heart, and I have to move forward. Why? Because I'm told to initiate it. And I'm told to do that He says immediately, as quick as I can, because the consequences can get worse. So I'm going to ask a couple questions and wrap this up. This really is something that applies to all of us. So what needs to change in you? Not because of what Pastor Paul said, but because of the Word of God. What in you needs to change so that your relationship with the Lord is better than it was when you walked in? And what can you do to help bring about change in your little corner of the world? I'm going to answer that one for you. You can become a minister of reconciliation. You can become an ambassador who helps reconcile others to God and to one another. There's this great passage in 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 5, verse 17. Just listen to the Word of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to him, himself in in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. Aren't you thankful that because of the cross of Calvary, Jesus does not count our sins against us? That's a big deal. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now how do I, how do I apply that daily? I want to make this as easy as possible. 
I want to give you nine words you need to insert into your regular vocabulary. You ready? Get a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, your thumb, something. You want to record this. Don't miss it. You want to get these down. Nine words. Make these nine words a regular part of your vocabulary. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. All right, now we're going to practice. You ready? On the count of three, we're going to say these nine words. You ready? One, two, three. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Now, I grew up with a show called Happy Days, and the main character was Fonzie, and he had this problem. He could not say, I'm sorry. He would always go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He just couldn't get it out. And I know I can see everybody. You, some of you were like that. You, you just can't say that. So we're going to practice it one more time. One, two, three. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Man, if you begin to apply these into your life, I believe God will help make you a minister of reconciliation. But there's some practical things you can do to also help control anger. There's some things you should never do. For example, never call people names. Never do this. Jesus, Jesus even gave us that as an example. So stop it. I can remember as a child, you know, people would make fun of other kids and what would we say? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But they hurt every time. And you would go, you're not going to believe what they just called me. Don't call people names. Number two, never raise your voice. Not in an argument. It just doesn't help. It doesn't communicate what you're trying to communicate. And by the way, you can do that in text too. People text me in all caps. I'm sick of it. It's like, I'm like, why are you angry? Don't text me in all caps. Don't do it. Never get historical. Yeah, I meant historical, not hysterical. Because some of you do that in your arguments. You're like, well, remember when you did this, and remember when you did that, and remember when they did this, and remember when they did that, and you're historical. Stop it. Never say never or always. You never do this. You always do that. Stop it. If you're married, never threaten divorce. That's never an option. And this last one's really important, especially today. Never quote the pastor in a fight. Just don't do it. Well, you know what the pastor said. What I'm trying to tell you is stop justifying and excusing what Jesus calls sin. That passage in Ephesians says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. What does it say get rid of? All of it. Say all. All. You know what all means in that ancient language? All. This is not complicated. By the way, that's your verse for next week. Ephesians 4.32. Let's say it together. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's learn that verse for next week. And that's our why. That's why we deal with these things this way. Did you catch it? Because God forgave us. 
I mean, did you hear what we sang earlier? When I, when I think about what God did for me, when I think about the grace and the mercy that God has shown me, when I think about what I deserve, and yet I get heaven, and I get the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I get the joy of the Lord, man, wow. God reconciles us to himself. That's always been his way. In fact, that's what it says in Exodus 34, early in the book. Moses is talking with God, and God says this. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And then notice what it says next. Slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Even God is slow to anger, but he had to punish sin. And that's the key. On the cross, Jesus took your anger. He took the wrath of God on your behalf. The New Testament calls that propitiation. The wrath of God poured out on Jesus for you and me. We have an enemy. The Bible says he's roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. If I were the devil, I think I know how I would try to steal joy and kill dreams and destroy lives. I think I would divide families. I would divide friends. I would divide churches. I would distract them from their mission. I would discredit their witness by making them argue, keeping them angry. I would give them critical spirits And I would keep them ticked off at the world. So here's my challenge to you. Don't fall for the schemes of the enemy when you have the hope of the gospel. Be reconciled to God and be ambassadors of reconciliation. Let's bow our heads. Simple two-part invitation today. first is to most of us Christ followers in the room guys this is this is us some of you are newer maybe some of you are guests but and I know a lot of folks in the room this is us some of us our lives are being eat up by these two issues anger unhealthy relationships and and so Christ follower this is my challenge to you and I'm I'm just going to ask in the name of Jesus that maybe you hear what I read in Philippians 2 as part of my devotion early this morning that we take on that attitude of Jesus when he humbled himself because this is going to take humility but I'm going to ask you to leave your anger or to take your relationship problems to Jesus today 
And I'm going to give you a practical way to do that. It's not real easy and user-friendly in this room. But if you're struggling in one of these areas, I'm going to invite you just to come and maybe kneel at the front of the stage and just spend some time with God in prayer. Kneeling because you're just demonstrating in humility, God, I recognize that the only way I'm going to deal with this is the hope of the gospel. And as soon as I say amen, I'm going to invite you to lead the way in doing that. But somebody's here and you've never begun a relationship with Christ. And relationships in your life will never be what they should be or could be until you have that right relationship with Jesus. You'll never overcome the unhealthy emotion of anger or any other unhealthy things in your life apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to know. You were born separated from God, not because of what you did, just because of who you are, just like me. It's called sin. And as we read in the book of Exodus, sin will always have to be punished. God can't let the guilty go unpunished. So you have a choice. You can choose to take your punishment or you can choose to rely on the punishment that Jesus took for you. Becoming a follower of Jesus is us looking to God, saying, I believe what Jesus did on the cross was for me. I trust in his punishment and I rest in your grace, God. If you've never done that, you don't need me or anybody else to walk you through that. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved. But maybe you would just respond with these words to God. Maybe you just say this. Dear Jesus, it's you and him right now. Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you took my punishment. The, the wrath of God was poured out on you. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. Come into my life and take control. I tell him thank you. If you just prayed that prayer, there are pastors of our church that are standing here. And when I say amen, others are coming to pray. I'm going to invite you just to come and take one of those pastors' hands and just say, hey, I just prayed that prayer. And they're going to talk to you about what's next, which is not necessarily joining our church. It's just making sure you've got those first steps in walking with Jesus. So, Father, as we commit this time to you, God, help us to have the conviction and then the courage to respond to what you're doing in our lives. I pray for that person that's taking a marriage relationship or a family relationship or a work relationship and laying it before you in these moments. Lord, I pray for that person that's really eat up with anger, maybe because of something that was done to them in the past that was very hurtful. Lord, I pray that you free them from the chains of that anger in these moments in the name of Jesus. Lord, and I pray for that person that just began a relationship with you. Give them courage to share that news with one of the pastors even now. And Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking the wrath of God for me, for paying the price. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. As God begins to speak, would you step out and come? Right now. I hear the Savior.